0: Well, if you have your Bible with you, please uh, turn with me again today to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. And again, we welcome those of you that are visiting, and we're glad that you could join us today. We've been studying the book of Hebrews for several months. And we are looking at chapter 6 today, verse 13. Really, through 16 will be uh, most of what we covered Ephesians, Ephesians, of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 to 16. Let's uh, pray together and then we'll read our text. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us. We look to you as our strength, our rock. You are our fortress, you are our mighty God. We thank you that you have not hidden yourself from us, but have revealed yourself to us in the scriptures, that we might see your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would help me to preach faithfully, to preach accurately and fairly, to preach, Lord, neither to the left nor to the right, but to stay upon that path which is set forth In these verses, we ask, Lord, that you would help me as I bring application so that, Lord, your people's needs would be met. We pray that our young children would come away with something they can understand, and yet also that we would not neglect the needs of the mature. We pray, Lord, this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6 excuse me, starting at verse 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise, for men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. Amen. Now, as we have been setting the table for the last several weeks, the primary pastoral concern of Hebrews chapter 6 is a warning to believers in the church They uh, are Hebraic, uh, ethnically, in background, but believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The warning uh, to them is against backsliding and apostasy. That's the overarching theme of this chapter. It's a warning against apostasy. Now today we're going to look at the promise to their father and our father in the faith Abraham. And we're going to look at this in two parts. First of all, we're going to consider uh, how it is that we are to look to Abraham himself, because you'll remember we were told last week we are to be uh, imitating those who were faithful. So that the first point is going to be to look to Abraham himself The second point will be to look to the God of Abraham. So we're going to look at Abraham today, but we're going to look then through Abraham or beyond Abraham to the God that Abraham looked to. And those are going to be our two main points here today. Now, why are we looking at Abraham and the God of Abraham? Well, as I said, we are looking at a chapter that is warning us, boys and girls, that we got to be faithful to the end. And now, if there's anybody who was faithful to the end, who exemplified what it was to persevere, to continue in the faith, uh, even to believe the promises of God when there didn't seem to be much outward, external hope of these promises being fulfilled, it sure, surely it was Abraham. So Abraham surely serves as a, a model for you and me about what it's like to persevere uh, in this world. But also, all of us need this warning. Uh, there is a tendency within us to backslide because we are not yet perfected. And so we do need to hear this warning. And you'll remember that for the past couple of weeks, we were looking at the two fields, the one field that was barren and full of thistles and thorns and the other field that was fruitful and productive. They both received seed. They both received water from the skies. They both received the nutrients of the ground. They both received the sunshine. And yet one did not produce the needed fruit. And in that example, the author of Hebrews is explaining to us that this same phenomenon takes place Spiritually, that those, the seed could be compared to the word of God that goes out and is nourished by the spirit of God. And yet in the lives of some, it produces nothing but barrenness. In the lives of others, it produces needed fruit. And so the author of Hebrews is urging them and through them us to persevere Uh, and to not allow the thorns and the thistles to choke out our fruit, to use the parable that Jesus used, to not allow uh, our roots to quit going down deeply into the ground, to find some kind of of rock uh, where we only spring up temporarily and wither away. Uh, We don't want to be those who, under the heat of persecution or trials, find ourselves fading uh, under that distress um, it is said uh, that the sun, the word, under the blessing of the Spirit, can cause mud to become hard as a brick, and it also can cause ice to melt. It has the sa- it's the same sun, but it has different effects. And so we must be careful that we are not sluggish in the things of the Lord. So look at verse 12. This is We talked about this last week, but I just want you to see it again because this is what's setting us up for our two points this morning. He says, so that you will not be sluggish. Don't be sluggish. That is lethargic. That is dull. That is lazy. Don't, don't be lazy. Don't be a sluggish. Don't fall backwards so that you will not be sluggish, but... Imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Imitate those who have gone before us, who have proven themselves in their life to be men and women, boys and girls of faith, of endurance, of patience, who inherited the promises there. And so we're going to do that today. First of all, we're going to look at Abraham, In the first point, and then secondly, we're going to look to the God of Abraham in order that we would not grow sluggish here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. In order that you not become sluggish in your own personal walk with Jesus. That decades from now, your walk with Jesus Christ, hopefully by God's grace, will be closer and more vibrant than it was when you were first converted. So that those of you who are uh, seniors, that you might... Be, as the psalmist says, that you might be a tree that is green and full of sap and fruitful in your old age, even as Abraham was to the end of his own life here. So notice here what the author does for us. The first point coming from verse 13. Look at verse 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham... Since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, speaking to Abraham there, I will surely multiply you. So, having patiently waited, he, Abraham, obtained the promise. So, notice that the author of Hebrews brings forth an Old Testament illustration to make this point, to drive home the exhortation that we not become sluggish, he says, let's look at Abraham. Because here is a man of faith and of patience in the promises of God. Now, what was it that God promised Abraham? Notice the text again. For when God made the promise to Abraham. So if we are to understand how it is that Abraham serves as a model for us, and that a promise was given to Abraham that he believed, we need to know and understand what exactly was it that was promised to him. Now, John Owen, in his commentary, notes that the promise of God was unfolded in four stages. In four stages, the promise of God was unfolded. Though the quotation here is from this last stage, which kind of summarizes the rest. But where were these four stages? Well, the first one comes in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, and if you want, you can turn there with me. Uh, verses two and three, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12, verse two and three. <coughs> Excuse me. God says this to Abram, "And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great." And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Owen says here that this was the first of the promises that were given to Abraham. Now each of these promises really should be understood really as one promise that is unveiled in stages. So everything that God promises here in Genesis 12 is echoed in Genesis 15, 17, and 22, but there are additions to it. That is, the promise keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. God sometimes will do this, doesn't he? For example, we see the promise of salvation to Adam and Eve. that The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's the gospel. Uh, in its most embryonic form. But as you move through the scriptures, you'll notice that that promise gets bigger and larger, and it gets more specific, doesn't it? That we know that it'll be of the tribe of Judah, we learn later in Genesis. And we know that who is it in Judah? We know it's David and of his family, and then we know it's the son of David, and we know that it is you know, Christ, and that he's a suffering servant, yet a king. And, and so God often does that. He, he unveils things to us, over redemptive history so that the people of God uh, should be encouraged by the things that he has formally promised and yet also seeing as redemptive history uh, develops that those promises are still remembered by God and he even doubles down on those promises by then making them more specific so that the people of God would be more encouraged and that is something for us to remember as well because why? Because not all the promises in the Bible have yet been fulfilled for us, have they? There are still things even for the Christian today that are still outstanding for us. I'll get to some of them in a moment. But that God is always, when He gives promises, He is always yes and amening the former promises that He's given. He's not nullifying the former things, but He is adding to them and expanding upon them. And showing that they're even greater and far surpassing than what you and I had previously thought about them. And this is why we should never get discouraged. And this is why we shouldn't complain. Is God, you know, slow in remembering the things He's promised? And the answer that God was showing here to Abraham is, no, I'm not slow in in this. What I'm telling you in Genesis 12, I'm going to reaffirm in 15, 17 and Genesis 22. And, and then not only am I going to reaffirm it, but I'm going to add to it. So notice here, he promises Abraham what? He says, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you a blessing. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to um, give you the land here, to the land which I will show you. So there's the promise here. It's kind of an external promise. It's a typological promise. It's, uh, the land is a type. It's a, it's a type of heaven. It's a type of new heavens and new earth. Uh, But, you know, Abraham may not have realized everything that was in that promise all at once, but God shows him over time. If you go to Genesis chapter 15, then God comes to Abraham again, and look at what he says this time. So he promises them the land in 12, and then in in chapter 15, he comes, he says, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And, you know, Abram's what's he protest? Well, how can my reward be great? I, I don't even have a child, Lord. He says in verse 3, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. And, and what, is, what goes on here in verse 4, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This is God speaking back to Abram. When Abram protests that he's without an inheritance, without an heir, rather. He says, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. He said to him, so shall your descendants be. So in Genesis chapter 12, what do we see? The promise, Abraham, is you're getting this land that I've brought you to. This will be for you. Promise number two, Abraham. I haven't forgotten promise number one, but promise number two, I'm adding to promise number one. You are going to have descendants from your own body inhabiting this land. I'm going to add that to you. And then look at Genesis chapter 17. God goes on. Look at the first six verses here. Now, when Abram Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. So, God is formalizing the promises here in a covenant relationship. I will multiply you exceedingly. Now, don't lose our point here. Why are we going through all this? Because we're supposed to be imitators of Abram, we're supposed to be imitators of Abraham. Abraham's a a wanderer, a pilgrim. He lived in Iraq. And God says, leave your family and leave your idolatry and follow me and come to this land that I'm bringing you to. And Abraham, you see this land, I'm going to give it to you. Abraham, this is your inheritance. Well, what kind of inheritance is this, Lord? I'm childless. All right, I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you descendants. And now I'm going to formalize it with a covenant between us. As for me... Behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. Whoa! Wait a minute. This promise just got bigger, didn't it? First it's the land. Now it's land and descendants. And now what? I'm going to be a father of of many nations? He still doesn't have a child here. Not one according to the promise, at least. He says... um, As for me, my covenant is with you, and you will be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but shall be Abraham, the father of many, the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations, plural, of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be. God to you and to your descendants after you. And then one more. Look at Genesis 22, and then I'm going to make my points. Genesis 22, verses 15 to 18. Genesis 22, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord, which Owen here believes is Christ pre incarnate, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn and declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son. Now here's what's being quoted in in Hebrews 6 here. It's this section here of 22. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, and as the sand of the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And this came to him, because why? Because he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, what do we learn from this? We learn, first of all, Abraham had faith in God to fulfill which, humanly speaking, seemed impossible. If, the, if there's anything first that we must learn as we imitate Abraham, it is that Abraham had faith in this God to give him land of which he owned zero, except for a little, you know, later he'll, he'll purchase a, just a wee bit of land so he can bury his dead. Other than that, he's got nothing. He's not a real estate baron. He's got Zippo. I'm going to give you the land. Humanly speaking, that seems impossible. I'm going to give you children, descendants. Humanly speaking, that's impossible. My wife and I are elderly. It's impossible. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to double down on the promise that I'm going to give you an heir through Sarah, a child of promise, And through you, Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed. And then he had the faith when God called him to sacrifice Isaac. The one son of promise. Think about that. This son for whom Abram has been waiting a hundred years and now has come to fruition, God is now telling him, These years later, I want you to sacrifice that son. And God had the faith to obey his word and go up to Mount Moriah and to stretch Isaac over the altar to the point of preparing to slay him. When the Lord says, stop, Abraham. Now I see that you believe and I make this covenant uh, to you with an oath. and That's the point here later in our Hebrews 6. God now swears upon himself. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 6 here. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And then in verse 16 it says, for men swear by one greater than themselves. With them an oath is given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. When when people can't agree and on something, and they have to go to court over it. They, that's why we put them under oath. Verse 17, in the same way, God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath. God backs up all these promises that he made in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and now in, in Genesis 22 with an oath. God swears upon his own being that everything he has said will come to pass. Now you say, how does this translate for us who are on the other side of Christ in the New Testament? Well, we have to realize that these promises given to Abraham find their expression chiefly and fulfillment in Jesus Christ and to us in Jesus Christ. That is, the promises given to Abraham point us to Christ in that everything which was promised to Abraham finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So for example, in Genesis 12, when Abraham is promised the land, its fulfillment is found in Christ, and with Christ, the land, meaning the whole earth, Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall inherit Palestine. No, that's not what it says. The meek shall inherit the earth. That God is going to bring about the new heavens and the new earth. You know, one of the things that is so distressing to us as Christians as we watch what's going on in the Middle East between those in Gaza and Israel is this, that as these two natural children of Abraham, one being of the woman Hagar and the other being ethnic descendants of Sarah, is that they're both missing the point. The point isn't to squabble over the dirt and dust of Israel, the land there. The point is that they're supposed to both be putting Jew and Gentile, their faith in Jesus Christ, to realize the new heavens and the new earth. Both houses are getting it wrong. Jew and Arab alike need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because the promise given to Abram was not just about some desert country. It was always meant to be far greater. It was pertaining to things that pertain to eternal life and salvation. And even, sadly, a lot of evangelical Christians miss this point. In Jesus Christ, we find everything that was being given and promised to Abraham that the land was always pointing not just to the land, but to the new heavens and new earth when God would do away with sin altogether. We see in Genesis 15 when he promised that Abraham would have many descendants, even though he was childless via Sarah. It was to realize that these children were not just to be natural children, but they were to be the children of Abraham who believe in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Paul tells us in the book of Galatians? That it is those who have faith in Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that they are the true children of Abraham. We are sons and daughters of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not by ethnicity. The Palestinians and the Jews alike can claim ties to Abraham. They both do. But that's not the important point. Paul makes this clear in Romans. He says, not all Israel is of Israel. It is those who are of the faith that matters. Not those who are Jews in the flesh. Not those who in the flesh are the descendants of Hagar. You and I, we as Christians, are supposed to come into this picture not with a political answer, but with a theological answer. That we need to preach Christ and Him crucified. This is why God swore to Abraham that He would fulfill these things. Because God knew that He had already made, He could make a covenant with Abraham because He had already made a covenant within Himself in His triune being. That the Father had made a covenant with the Son and the Son with the Father in the Holy Spirit. That the, the three persons of the Godhead had covenanted together within their own Godhead. That the Son would come into the world to save sinners. And therefore, God could promise. Or the angel of the Lord, as as is here quoted from Genesis 22, which I think Owen probably is right. It is a pre-incarnate Christ coming to Abram and saying, I can swear an oath to you on this issue. Because we've already taken a greater covenant before the foundation of the earth was even established. But there's also another way that we need to look to Abraham and be an imitator of Abraham. And that is, as I said earlier, there are promises given to us in the Bible that have not yet been fulfilled. And in the same way as Abraham had to patiently exercise faith as a pilgrim, as a wanderer in a fallen world, you and I have to do the same. You say, well, what promises are those? Well, for example, in Romans chapter 11, in verse 25, what do we find? We find the Apostle Paul in Romans 11:25 25 and following. He tells us that there will be a future of what he calls the fullness of the Gentiles brought in. That is, the church is supposed to grow to a great innumerable people. This is how the promise to Abraham and his descendants will be fulfilled. It is through Jesus Christ and the application of Christ's work by the Spirit as the gospel is preached to all the nations, to China and to Japan and Korea and to African nations and to Europe and to the Americas, that wherever the gospel is being preached and the Spirit is owning that preaching, bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ, the, the, the promise to Abraham is continuing to be fulfilled. But here's what we need to remember. And that is the Bible says that Abraham looked to the promises of God with the eyes of faith, not with the natural eye. With the natural eye, there wasn't a whole lot to look at. When he looked at his body and he looked at his wife's body, there was not much there to think this promise is going to be fulfilled. It is the same temptation for us as believers. The temptation is to think the forces of evil and the power of the devil are too strong. The culture is too much against us. We just need to huddle together and try and ride this thing out. No, my friend. You are failing as a Christian at that point. You are failing to imitate Abraham. Abraham believed God With the promise. He didn't look with the natural eye. We don't judge our future as a church by saying, well, it all seems against us. Or as Stonewall Jackson told a soldier who said, that all is prevailing against us. Well, if you think so, keep it to yourself, he said. (laughs) We are to look. what God says in Romans chapter 11, in Psalm 86, in a variety, Isaiah 2, uh, Daniel chapter 7, in a host of various places that says the church is going to grow. We need to believe God and say, I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it. I don't know where he's going to do it, but I know he's going to do it. Things may look even bleaker by the time you're on your deathbed than they do today. A decade, two decades, three decades, five decades from now, things might even look worse for the church. But you have to say on your deathbed, I believe God. And not what I'm seeing on CNN. Not what I see on the news. Let the Bible and God's word be... Uh, the object of your faith there, the promises of God. You know, after God in Romans 11, verse 25 talks about the fullness of the Gentiles brought in, then he talks about, get this, hold on to your hat, folks, the conversion of the Jews. Paul says in Romans 11, after the fullness of the Gentiles, I'm not going to forget my ethnic people. I'm not going to forget those who are ethnically related to Abraham. I am going to make those who are ethnically related to Abraham truly related to Abraham spiritually by making them followers of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give the Jews in large numbers the eyes to see that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? See, I think sometimes we think our eschatology, well, it's just a a matter of opinion and theory. I think it's a matter of faith. Do you believe the promise of God? And the return of Jesus Christ is a third one. The fullness of the Gentiles, the conversion of the Jews, and then the return of Jesus Christ. Do you believe in the return of Jesus Christ? Our culture is doing what they did 2,000 years ago in Peter's day when they said, where is the Lord? Where's your Lord? He's been slow in coming. Well, if they thought they were, he was slow in coming in, G, in Peter's day, <laughs> what do they think now, 2,000 years later? Well, there's a lot of people out there say, oh, he's not coming. You're, you've misunderstood the resurrection and the second coming. You need to start, you need to start making these verses a metaphor of some sort. Because he's not literally coming back, they say. What we have to say with Abraham is, oh yes, he is coming back. That the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, very God of very God, truly a man, at the right hand of the Father, with all power and authority, who is governing all things for his own glory and for the welfare of his growing church, is coming back. To, make, to raise the dead, to judge... Between the sheep and the goats, and to bring about the new heavens and the new earth. This is what the the Bible says. And when you think about it, some of the promises that are still outstanding from our perspective are as incredible as the promises that God gave Abraham in his day. Maybe more incredible. You're called to believe those promises. You're called to say, Lord, I don't fully understand but I believe, help my unbelief, Lord. Abraham, we are told here in verse 13, for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. He is, as it says in in verse 12, a man who was of faith and patience to inherit the promises You know, some of you experience some of this even now in personal ways. Um, God is exercising your faith and patience in a variety of ways. Everybody carries a different cross, but everybody will carry a cross. Boys and girls, it may not have been laid on your shoulders yet, but it will be coming. Trust me. Trust your parents on this. The Lord will, will lay on us trials that will test our faith in Him. Many of you have very <clears throat> legitimate aspirations under the Lord that you are praying for and thus far have not been able to realize despite your earnest efforts at prayer and doing whatever you think needs to be done uh, at a, um, I don't want to call it a practical level that, to make, that might make prayer seem impractical, but in terms of your duty and your responsibility before the Lord in addition to prayer. For example, some of you have struggled in your body. Uh, We have members of this church who have struggled for years in their body. Um, That is the trial that some of you are dealing with. Some of you have struggled in your body for maybe even decades, and you've prayed and you've prayed for healing for various sorts, but it seems slow in coming. How are we as believers to understand this? Um, we, we have to understand that, that the Lord sometimes lays hold of this so that we will what? So that we will look ahead to that prayer being answered in that next life. That is, even the Apostle Paul, you think about how Paul, I mean, of all men, Paul, Paul laid hands on people. Paul prayed for people. And they were healed. And yet Paul prays three times for himself. Lord, take the thorn out of my flesh. And the Lord says no. Now, it may have been a physical thing for Paul. It might have been something else. We don't know exactly what it was. But the point is that Paul is going to have to wait for the resurrection to be healed. Some of you are going to have to wait. For the resurrection. You, like Abraham, are going to realize promises, you know, because you say, Well, Pastor, how do I deal with this when Jesus says, you know, ask and you shall receive? And I've been asking and trying to muster as much faith as I can. And yet I am still not realizing the answer to that prayer. Now, some sectors of Christendom, particularly those on television will say, well, you just don't have enough faith or you haven't given enough to my ministry. Otherwise, you would experience that affirmative answer in this life. What I am arguing is, no, it may be that the answer is no, not yet. That the answer will be yes, but in the resurrection. Maybe you've prayed for a loved one who maybe was dying, and maybe even at an earlier age than normative. And you prayed for healing, and you prayed for healing, and you prayed for healing, and the Lord took them. Maybe they were in their 30s, maybe they were in their 40s or 50s. And they ended up dying instead of living. Has God fallen short of His promise? When you asked in faith, when you prayed... No, I think you you have to come and say, even as the sisters of Jesus' best friend, Lazarus, had to realize that the Lord may delay to bring glory to himself. And that the answer ultimately isn't no, but yes, in terms of a glorified body that will live forever. Some of you are single, like myself. And you look at Psalm 68, verse 6, and you read, and the psalmist says that God makes a home for the lonely. And you say, well, pastor, I'm eating at a table for six every night by myself. How is this to be realized? I'm praying. I'm trying to, quote unquote, get out there, as they say. Listen, it may only be realized in the world to come. And you will look back and you will say that God indeed was faithful. Some of you struggle financially. And you think, Pastor, I'm working as hard as I can. (laughs) I, I am being as frugal as I know how. I'm trying to cut everywhere I am and I cannot seem to get ahead. I'm working as hard as any person I know. And we're barely making it every month. And I think we have to look beyond and say, well, John chapter 14, Jesus tells us that in my Father's house are many mansions and that that is to be realized in the world to come. Some of you are looking for children and, and you're praying for God to provide. And what, what do we have to say to that? Well... God promises us in Isaiah 56, verse 4 and following, that he who keeps my Sabbaths will have an inheritance that is greater than children. We, somehow we have to believe that. that. That there will be a realization to our prayers and our waiting and our patience that are beyond even what we might have received had the prayer been given to us affirmatively. The answer had been given affirmatively. Some of you are praying for a converted family member, for a family member to be converted. And you're gonna, you, will, you will go to the grave not seeing them converted. And yet somehow you will look back and you will see how God did answer those prayers, as one Puritan put it. There are no prayers ever wasted on God. Even if the, even if the petition uh, is not realized in the way that we were expecting God will, indeed, uh, answer our prayers in Jesus Christ. They are yes and amen. And in in this way, we have to show ourselves. When you think about it, Abraham had very little. I mean, God had blessed him materially, typologically, as a a type of new heavens and new earth. But, you know, he didn't have the land. He didn't have a son by Sarah for a while. Um, He certainly didn't look like he was on the way to being a father of many nations, and yet he believed God. And what do we say? These promises were realized to Abraham. Do you realize that Abraham is in heaven and that Abraham is seeing the promises that were given to him being fulfilled in ways that Abraham himself never, ever dreamt of? I don't think Abraham, maybe he did, but I don't think Abraham ever knew of people called Japanese who were going to be his sons and daughters. Or people, you know, way down in South Africa or South America, who were going to be his children. Do you think that was in his mind at the time? I don't know. (laughs) I think God has fulfilled things well beyond. Do you think that Abraham believed that from him and Sarah would become would come the son of God in human flesh? that Jesus' humanity would come from him, that surely had to be far beyond anything that Abraham could ask or imagine or comprehend. And so it is with us. God will do greater things. Well, I have a second point, but I don't have the time for it. So we'll save that for later.